1918. The world is at war, a terrible, raging conflict that has left no one untouched. In the North Yorkshire village of Hawkswick, it seems that the dead won't stay down. There are reports of horrifically wounded soldiers on manoeuvres in the night. Pets have gone missing, and now livestock is found slaughtered in the fields. Suspicion naturally falls on nearby Hawkswick Hall, a psychiatric hospital for shell-shocked soldiers, where Private Daniel Corey senses a gathering evil. As events escalate, a stranger arrives on the scene. Can this man from the Ministry solve the mystery of Hawkswick? And can Hawkswick solve the mystery that is this man from the Ministry? Welcome back to the Secret Library of St John the Beheaded. For this penultimate episode in the first series of We're All Stories in the End. An ill-advised project in which I seem to have undertaken to reread all of the Virgin New Adventure novels and all of the BBC Eighth Doctor novels. That's about a, a couple of hundred books there and I'm doing them at the rate of one a month and uh, well, I guess it's a race against time, isn't it? We'll we'll finish this, or or I'll probably conk out with half a shelf of books still to go. Anyway, never mind all that. Let's look at this month's book. It's an Eighth Doctor novel. It's by Steve Emerson, and it's a quiet, thoughtful classic, Casualties of War. Let's see what we thought of that. Pretty sure I can get Gareth on here. Um, where's the bloody tuna? So obviously we're here to talk about casualties of war, but before we get to that, and and mm. I suppose before we get to Doctor Who. Are you much of a, a reader beyond that? And what kind of thing do you enjoy? Well, yes, I, I like reading a lot at the moment. Um, I did have a habit, uh, just to skew off briefly, um, when I was a kid, I used to be obsessed with having books and getting books and not so much reading them. Right. Um, so in, in kind of recent years, I've kind of thought, OK, this is getting out of hand now. I've got several bookcases I need to crack on. So I'm trying to read as much as humanly possible at the moment, just out of what I've got. Generally, it breaks down into kind of general sort of fiction, which is normally sort of science fiction leaning, I suppose. But I also like a lot of comedy, um, non-fiction, which tends to skew towards stuff that has something to do with the film and television industry. I just find all of that very interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, general sort of culty TV stuff. So that's the sort of huge pot of kind of doctor who because because as you're probably well aware i mean there are there are books about literally every aspect of doctor who oh so, God, yes. um, yeah you have to i was just saying this morning to my partner that like i do i do draw the line sometimes i mean there are some <laughs> books out there which are, there are there are some books which are like what was that convention like in 1981 and i think <laughs> i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a grown-up and say i'm not reading that but if um, but you know if, if there's anything coming out that's like here's here's the I don't know here's the biography of uh, Derek Sherwin I picked up the other day, yeah. and it's just yeah Phantom Films uh, re reprinted that one, um, yeah it's it's kind of 
I think what I'm trying to do in some way is kind of build up a biographical history of the show, kind of read each producer after the other. And yeah, so, you know, you, you can really disappear down a rabbit hole. I mean, that's even that's not even mentioning fiction. I mean, good God, it's a whole industry. But yeah, so um, yeah. Also, with regards to Doctor Who in particular, um, I read all of the new adventures and missing adventures, basically the whole Virgin kit and caboodle. Yeah. Um, from about 2015 onwards, and I do still have most of the Benny books to read. But I've kind oh, of slowed down lovely. a bit on that, but I've also so, got kind of a smattering of BBC books as well. Right. With kind of a maybe an intention of reading them all, but again, there's so many of them. Good grief! Just tracking those down. Well, this is this is what I've been doing this year because I, mm. um, as I've probably said on the show by this point, I I stopped collecting them after the first seven or eight books mm. um and the rest of them i read at the time i would have taken out of the library <laughs> um <laughs> because you know my money was going on things like cigarettes and alcohol and mm. um and at the time i didn't think the eight doctor books were you know maybe as good as they could be um, mm. Although I am revising that opinion now that I'm actually reading them, but I have spent this year sort of, I've spent most of last year, in fact, um, buying them secondhand from all four corners of the US. Oh, um, God. And yeah. I've got I've got about five to go, but I've got PDFs of those, so I'm not losing any sleep over having a, an incomplete collection. Yeah, I mean, with some of them, it's just, it's very, very unlikely isn't it i mean i i spent far too much kind of completing the new adventures and and you know basically i've only got i've only got a copy of longbow because someone was very very kind you know it's just very very hard to track this stuff down and some of the bbc books are kind of bizarre as well i mean i picked up um world game the the Troughton 6b thing oh yeah um in a in a random boutique shop in brighton <laughs> they had this they've got this if you you know if you're ever in brighton i can't remember what it's bloody called but you'll wander around and you'll find it there's this massive random shop and they've got this huge locked off glass cabinet full of doctor who odds and ends and you have to um, there's nothing's priced so i had to grab like a handful of things and i was like oh world game i've heard of that even though secretly suspect it's probably not terence's best <laughs> uh, and you you have to uh you have to walk up to the counter with them and only then do you find out what kind of value we're talking i think that one was about 15 20 which could be worse well but, it could yeah. be worse but it could be better i mean i think i mean, yeah. i think the price of these books should in some way be linked to their literary merit and then suddenly Lungbarrow doesn't <laughs> command 200 pounds a copy do you know what i mean oh, I, well the, you know the upsetting thing about Lungbarrow for me which is a silly thing to be bothered by was that i really liked it and I kind of thought, wouldn't it be a relief if you read something like this and it was a bit crap and you could say to yourself, how dare people charge this stuff? But I thought, <laughs> I generally thought like all of the books towards the end of the new adventures were pretty good, which it was a strong, surprised me. Yeah, it was but, a strong run. But then they did have, you know, a, a year to to build up to it. Um, the the ending of the EDAs um, and again they they didn't seem to have as long to build up to anything even though it's the same BBC that was making the new series so there was kind of less tie-in and and I found that ending less uh, less of a, a an emotional payoff maybe than Lungbarrow. I suppose I mean I'm really kind of guessing here because I I 
I've got a lot of catching up to do with the EDS because I basically read a couple when I was a teenager. And, you know, I'd enjoy kind of the fact that they were sort of gory and grim sometimes. I remember reading the body snatches and just thinking, oh, yeah, blood and guts everywhere. Brilliant. Um, which is kind of that's that's where I was at as a teenager fan. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the impression I get about the EGAs is that it kind of wasn't really as much of a bottle universe as as virgin you know because it's in-house and it's there's an element of we've got a i don't know maybe not rock the boat as much maybe that's rubbish and it was all incredibly strange but that's I, the impression i get no i think so so i i was reading the new adventures you know literally as they were published every month i'd be buying them mm. and reading them and i absolutely loved them because uh, my TV show had been taken away from me and I was a <laughs> fragile, emotional teenager and I, I needed I needed the books, God damn it. Um, and looking back on them now as I'm rereading them, and obviously if you only read them in the last sort of seven or eight years, yeah. you'll, you'll be that much fresher. But they were, it turns out, very, uh, very gun, shall we say. They're all very very you know dramatic and het and angsty and violent and futuristic yeah. and, whereas the edas and i think you're right to say that there is a slightly more conservative um ethos behind them there is this desire not to rock the boat unless they've given lawrence miles the key oh. uh, <laughs> for that particular month um, but there is such a diversity of approaches and styles and themes and flavours and, and it's a lot more frock. And what I'm finding is that, you know, as I advance giddily towards middle age, I'm becoming a lot more frock. So they're really working for me in ways that the EDA, uh, that the, the new adventures, maybe they're just not hitting the same. They're not ticking um, the same boxes. I've, I've found a similar thing with myself, really. It's, it's just the older I get, the less I care about the stuff that I would once have considered sort of cool, like the right. kind of the kind of box ticking stuff like, oh, this one's got Ice Warriors and, and K9 in it. Wow. Um, you know, as I get older, I'm more interested in has it got some character development? And I kind of felt with the new adventures that to an extent, as they went on, they kind of grew out of the the angsty thing. And there's this, there's a turn with the the seventh doctor towards the end where he kind of sort of seeks permission to just be sort of nice again and by the time the, the range is winding down he's basically i'd say a relatively nice guy um but yeah they, they kind of i think they moved a bit away from that whole angsty cyberpunky thing as it went on but yeah, yeah that's certainly something i look for as i grow up just generally like i go back and watch kind of the, the stuff I used to watch, like, um, you know, all the Star Treks and things. And I think the episodes that used to interest me most uh, don't necessarily anymore, whereas episodes that had more kind of human element to them. Now I find myself kind of more interested, like, you know, Voyager is, is mm. kind of a good example where there's so, there's loads of really great kind of gimmicky stuff in there of like, oh, this one's got the Borg, blah, blah, blah. But nowadays I kind of think, give me a good solid story about Tom Paris struggling with his relationship or something. And, and God, what's happened to me? This is what I like now. <laughs> but yes, it's all grown up. They never warn you. I'm yeah. I, yeah. So I'm exactly the same now. I'm, I'm much less interested in reading a book because it features the ice warriors. And I'm much more interested in something that, you know, does something clever or audacious or exciting. And yeah. part of it is probably just growing up. And part of it is probably 
because we've got the TV show back on now, you've got a kind of like a, a staple diet of your essential nutrients on hand. And this is kind of this is like snacking. This is like a, a shameful <laughs> Snickers in your desk drawer. <laughs> Um, yeah. That might just be me. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not here to Snickers shame anyone, um, <laughs> except myself. A large part of the show is, is self therapy for for me and mm. my um, my Snickers problem. Um, but we'll save that for another <laughs> session, Doctor. So, um, so you've recently read Casualties of War. Was it your first time reading the book? It was. It was my first time. I read it yesterday. Um, oh wow. Yes, I was expecting to do this today in the evening. So I thought, right, the, the thing is, normally when I try and review a book or something, I want it to be as fresh in my head as possible. So I normally just do the review or whatever immediately afterwards. In this case, because I'm kind of doing it backwards and I know I'll have to talk about it, I thought, right, read the thing as late as possible. So it's not like I forgot. It's This is deliberate, amazingly. But um, but yeah, yesterday I found that it was just extremely readable. So it was just over and done with by bedtime. Um, but I should mention that I recently read The Burning as well, because I thought, right, well, I haven't read a lot of EDAs, quite frankly. I've got plenty, but I haven't. Yeah. I am dimly aware that there is this arc of books, which I have all of the books of that run, um, where he's lost his memory and he's going through some stuff. And I thought, well, sod it. That's that's not a lot of research. I'll just read the burning. I thought I'll skip ancestor cell and all of that for now. Mm, yeah. Because because I figure this was intended as a as a jumping on point. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll see if it works, and it does. I think very well. Uh, the burning, you know, just briefly, he's uh, you know investigating. Have you, have you done an episode on the burning? <clears throat> on the burning? I have. I haven't yet. No, the burning is oh, okay. uh, a long ways in the future. Oh no worries. Um, well, it's very entertaining. And um, he, uh, you know, he's in a small mining town and investigating all sorts of stuff. But it's interesting because his character is still kind of percolating. Like, it's obviously the Eighth Doctor, but um, he kind of takes a few swings and misses and screws a few things up and does a few things that are a bit questionable. And in this one, yeah, we kind of find him a bit further along the road. But it's, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's... um. It's an interesting one to look at, and so is The Burning, if you're not steeped in kind of Doctor Who lore. Because it's just like, right, here's a guy, he's basically the Doctor. Um, here's a situation that hasn't got any Daleks in it or, you know, anything like that. And basically pick it up and run with it. And I think that's fascinating. I wasn't expecting to enjoy this arc particularly. But, um, yeah, I'm wondering how people felt about it at the time. I mean, I, I certainly will read the rest of them now just to kind of see how he progresses through this. But, yeah, the whole idea of just taking away everything, which is silly, really, because, I, you know, even I laughed at the idea like, oh, God, they gave the Eighth Doctor amnesia again. <laughs> um, but um, His, but his <laughs> brain must be so traumatised by the oh. time... By the time he finally regenerates, his his poor brain must be breathing a big sigh of relief at all the, <laughs> the wipes and forgettings and, you know, subversions it's been through. He he must be basically sort of Sam Beckett in Quantum Leap at this yeah. point, you know, with his yeah. Swiss cheese brain. He's like, yeah, um... I am, I'm the doctor. Don't ask me anything. I don't even know who my companions were, even <laughs> though they were... Fitz and Sam. By the time I'm regenerating, I'll think it was someone called Carers. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'll, I'll name check a few but not all um but um but it's it's fascinating really that you can you can give him amnesia but you don't you know you don't have to go mad like it this isn't this isn't 
Doctor Who the movie amnesia. I mean, he's just basically he does have it all in there. He just doesn't have the connective tissue. So um, exactly, he's got he's got enough of himself to operate, but hmm. we've kind of just we've taken a kind of six month detour from the weight of of continuity, and um, you know, at the time although I wasn't reading the books kind of uh, regularly or religiously at the time they were published, I, I knew what was happening because I was still looking at the magazine. And mm. I just thought, do do we really need six books where nothing important is going to happen? <laughs> um, and I think if you, if you read, I think it's six, it might be seven, but if you read, if you read the arc, then there are definite hits. There are definite misses. But on the whole, I think it's an interesting experiment and I think they did mm. it well. And I think when I when I came to certainly to reread this, um, I was thinking of it in terms of it being a fairly anonymous, insignificant and, you know, unmemorable novel by a writer who is not Paul Cornell or Kate Orman uh, mm. or Andrew Cartmill or Lawrence Miles. Um and the thing with Steve Emerson is I'm, I always get him mixed up with Trevor Baxendale because they could be the same person. Okay. But when I came to read it, and specifically Steve Emerson's uh, book more than any of the others, I think in that in that run, I realised that what he's what he's done is exactly what I would do if. Do you ever play that game where you wake up and you're the showrunner of Doctor Who, and you? Think oh, I think yourself, we've all done it. Yeah. And you think, right, what would I do? What would my approach be? This is exactly what I what I tell people I would want to do. No <laughs> continuity, no tedious callbacks to the past. We're not bringing back Captain Jack or Glitz or the Valiard. Um, let's just make something that's dramatic and exciting and stands on its own two feet and, and can appeal to someone who's never seen it before. So this book um kind of typifies exactly what i think now at my time of life now that i'm not an eight-year-old boy anymore this is kind of exactly what i would want to have yeah i think i i do think there's a lot of similarity with the burning in that it has that approach where you just kind of shear away all of the tinsel of doctor who and just go like right here's the basic of it but i think this does it even more so so um Oh, God, stop spoiling the burning. But it's got more. No, you kind can of a... <laughs> you can spoil the burning. Listen, I'll let you into a secret. I'm fairly confident that anyone listening to this podcast has probably <laughs> has either read or you know or or again because it was published 30 years ago, probably doesn't care. So yeah. you spoil it all you want. Okay, well, just to say that I I feel the burning is is more Doctor Who e. I mean, that's that's almost to be expected, really, because it's Justin Richards and he's very not to denigrate, but he's just like, right, we want a traditional Doctor Who yarn. Go. And then in an hour, he's done it. Exactly. Um, it's 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 very good, but it's it's more your sort of here's the bad guy. Here are the monsters um, and casualties of war. It, oh, this this is going to sound very mean to Doctor Who. And I don't mean it to, but it's one of those where you're reading it. And now and again, it's a bit like, oh, this could be a normal novel. Like this is <laughs> this has got people in it and they've got interests and I feel like they're actual characters who exist when the doctor has left the room. Um no, it's just it's a it's very well expressed throughout. And um, you know, like you say, it doesn't need any of the the continuity stuff. It's just a very compelling kind of horror story with all these elements of sadness, you know, it's 
tremendous stuff i thought i mean just you know now and again you think there's there's like a litmus test of doctor who stories which probably you know isn't accurate where i think to myself like would i pass this to like my partner does not care for doctor who would i would i give this to them and go you might enjoy this maybe i think this is i think this is a strong kind of oh, i'm stuck with the word tinsel now tinsel free doctor <laughs> who story i love the um, idea of tinsel it does it does lead us very directly to time that which is possibly not the <laughs> not, not the uh, impression you're going for but mm. i i think um or i i thought as i was nearing the end of of casualties of war that mm. it kind of reminded me of um ian McEwan or sebastian folks who who have both written you know i think uh one or two novels set during wartime mm. and they've captured that kind of small quiet hometown where all the men are away fighting a war and who's left and what are they thinking and what are they going through and that that kind of yes. really delicate exploration of the quietness of of wartime when you're not fighting the war yourself um I th yeah. I, yeah i thought it was really strong it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, one book that jumped to mind, which I'm not entirely sure I actually read all of it, but I had to read it at college, um, was a Pat Barker one. Uh, oh, regeneration. Regeneration, yeah, yeah, yeah. Titles. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you were annoyed at the end of it when no one started oh, come on, Pat. out Artron energy and yeah. turned into <laughs> David Tennant again for put, no reason. Put the work in. <laughs> um no it's it, yeah it, it, gets, it did kind of remind me of that i mean it's fascinating because it's i i wonder if there were conversations when it came out i mean you know i doubt it i'm not sure top two fans would have really cared is it is it crass or tasteless um to kind of take the trauma of these soldiers and stuff and you know because literally that's what the villain is doing he's manipulating uh, what these people have gone through to, uh, to sort of whip up boost their... his agenda. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, you know, just to slightly jump ahead, that's perhaps a, a weak note in it. It is, you know, the villain. Once, once you get there, I felt it was a little bit kind of, and I'm going to be really powerful, and I'm going to have all of this, blah, blah, blah. And that was a little bit, to me, like, oh, you've got you've to pay the piper, you've got to have the bad guy have the aim that they want but, yeah but, you know it, 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 and there was no real i don't i don't want to suggest there was no real thought about what the villain was going to do with it once he mm. once he you know gets what he wants there's no and then i'm going to go to planet f and do plan <laughs> y it was all just very well i'm doing this because i can <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's a sort of um, kind of internecine stuff going on with the with the the sort of golem soldiers who are hulking around doing their thing, and it's suggested that they've kind of got their own sort of agenda against him, and he's got his plans. I don't know that there were there were elements of it when you kind of get down to the detail of it, where I I absolutely love the execution of it. It's genuinely unsettling at many points there is there are horror moments in this that you absolutely could never do in mm. televised doctor who but at the same time they do not come across as kind of that like i said when i was reading the body snatchers i think books like that have an element of kind of excited 
kid in a candy store doctor who doesn't have a watershed anymore it's it's stuff that's (laughs) it's stuff that's kind of much worse than that basically i'm thinking there's a bit with a tree where there's kind of bits of animals that have been kind of horribly killed kind of dangling from the tree and there's oh my god just like (laughs) sorry listeners there's a bit where a guy um commits suicide and evidently these golem soldiers remove his head and attach it to the tree and it's just kind of they they found the body and it's headless and they're like oh well we found it but we're gonna have to keep looking and then they find this tree and the head just kind of is on a string or whatever and kind of turning around and that image was just yeah oh, i'm not scrubbing that out anytime soon i but... i thought the offering tree was really good um oh yeah it was it was like something out horrible. of horrible out of a, a campion novel or um just any any kind of <laughs> folk horror and i think you're you're right in that this is kind of nearly pushing the edge of the envelope of what you can get away with in terms of mm. um you know, turning real human suffering into an exciting space adventure. Um, you know, mm. you you couldn't do a Doctor Who book that addressed, say, the Holocaust. But mm. this kind of thing is probably as um, as high stakes and as deep into that world and that era as you could go. So, and I, you know, and and so many other writers in other genres have done. A lot worse so i i think i think we're fine i think we're on well i was going to say safe ground but of course as you say it's full of golems and um the walking dead so perhaps perhaps we won't say safe ground Uh, (laughs) it's it's yeah i mean i think i think the key thing is that the novel you know it, it doesn't relish any of this and it does make it clear that these people are missed and you know even the prologue uh, a couple of characters get killed in it. And even in the space of, I don't know, five to 10 pages, you do form an attachment to them. And so it is, it's very much a tragedy that they, they're they killed and they're inveigled in all of this nonsense. And, you know, I, I think the book does a very good job of making it clear that these people are missing uh, because this village, um, there's not a lot going on in it uh, because there's nobody there. You know, all of the soldiers have gone. There's no young men. And you've you've kind of got these sort of survivors or stragglers on the outskirts. You know, you've got a couple of land girls, you've got a policeman, a farmer and his wife. And you've got Mary, who incredible, obviously probably get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. But um, but you be all of these people, you know, you kind of feel there's there's absence happening here and, and that kind of. I think prevents it from feeling particularly exploitative. And there's possibly a parallel we can draw with the pandemic, but the the kind of feeling mm. um, is that these people are their lives are on pause, and they're they're surrendering a, a good chunk of their lives, a good three or four years, to just you know um, working the land, keeping the village ticking over. But really, their lives are just waiting. They're waiting for their loved ones to come home. And uh, to be fair, most people during the pandemic did at least live with their loved ones. So that's less of a parallel. (laughs) But it's the same in that it was a a period of time where we were basically going through the motions and and just kind of plodding on every day and trying to 
you know put put a smile on and just keep going when really everything was you know nothing was happening nothing dynamic or um exciting was happening and everyone's mm. going about their life quietly working and uh watching videos about sea shanties and, uh, <laughs> and making there's, soda there's bread a, <laughs> there's there's actually a note on the last page uh about the spanish flu epidemic yeah um, which you know inevitably you, you can't help but go oh speaking of pandemics yeah it, it's you know completely unintended oh, but yeah. um kind of makes you get, just suddenly think how crippling it is when these things explode and how easy it is for them to do so but anyway yeah no i, I see that it's, it's uh characters are in this kind of strange sort of pause which you know is, is maybe yeah may, maybe partly helps along the fact that the doctor is able to just turn up and kind of liven things up a bit and you know it's it's a really good one for nobody particularly cares that he doesn't have any id (laughs) it's i always hate even even as a kid doctor who fan one of the things i hated is when he would turn up somewhere and he'd like stand next to a body and someone would immediately jump out of a corner and go well you killed him then uh and you know make all sorts of stupid assumptions and in this it's as if you know they're like we don't care. We've got enough going on in our lives that we don't need to be like, who is this weirdo in the frock coat? You know, he can be whoever he says he is, whatever. And, you know, Mary has a whole thing where she basically figures it out without much prompting and it doesn't bother her at all. Um, yeah, you know, because I, I... because there's such a period of time happening here that they're kind of like, are you kidding? We're not going to. So some nutter turns up, you know, maybe it will be helpful. <laughs> We'll just go along with it. It's fine. Yeah, I suppose the the bigger the vacuum around the Doctor, the easier it is for him to be an agent of chaos and change. Mm. And Hawkswick uh, doesn't sound like, shall we say, the most happening place. So um, no, yeah, it's got it's got one policeman, and he's basically so old that now and again he just figures, oh, it'd be nice if I was dead. that's that's the police force of hawkswick that's what that's it's not it's not exactly morse is it (laughs) so should we maybe spend a few minutes considering mary minutes good grief i mean it's i had heard kind of i try not to and i appreciate these books are 30 years old you know anyone who's got any interest in them knows all of it um but i had only heard kind of a whiff that this was a sort of wartime story it was kind of sensitively handled i suppose so you know it's more of your frock than your gun um and i'd heard that there was some sort of romance so that was kind of in the back of my head but um yes you've got mary and she just is basically the it's not to disregard the land girls but she's sort of the only eligible woman in the village uh she's sort of defiantly single i suppose that's a deliberate yeah. choice yeah. and you know she's got her father who is absent but not dangerously so he evidently sort of drifts back now and again and she's got her brother who died in the song and that's kind of the major anchor of her life now unfortunately and that's probably why the dad is kind of it feels it's it's weird they never really land on what the relationship is with the dad and i think that's probably 
because he's also cut up about this and he's like, well, I don't want to go home. I might as well stay at work. That's kind of just a, that's what I took from Hmm. their relationship. But, but yeah, so Mary is kind of in a strange place and, you know, everyone, everyone in the village is, is sort of bowled over by her because she's kind of a, just a, just a smart, capable person. And, you know, most of those have gone now. Um, And yeah, she's developed this rapport with the doctor, you know, because he just strolls up to investigate this whatever is going on. And um, she's just captivated by him immediately. Uh, And in a way, I think in the same way that the reader is, because it's like, here is a character, he does not entirely know himself, but he is full of potential. And you know, if this was your first Doctor Who book, I think you'd probably be fascinated by him because he's just capable of anything. And, you know, he can he can beguile people and then immediately turn it around to a bit of a cross-examination. I thought it was it was a particularly good example of the eighth Doctor because, quite frankly, even though I think the seventh is very good, like famously at controlling situations and manipulating people, nobody fancies him. But um, <laughs> but for the eighth doctor, it helps things along, right? Because he's this young, yeah. handsome guy, and it, that that's like another foot in the door, and people kind of see him, and they're sort of like, oh, <laughs> they, they're kind of um, pleased to see him for whatever reason. And with Mary, you know, that it it doesn't feel shallow, you know, because you're like, well, look, Paul McGann, 1996, looked all right. I mean, um, you would, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> everyone would, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it, it, she she's attracted mostly to that kind of potential of him because that's something she has, mm. and it's just this incredible rapport. Like he doesn't, and it does it does become romantic, but he you know he doesn't reciprocate, but in a very doctorly way where he's kind of he's never rude or shooting her down but there is something a little bit brusque about the way he kind of brushes her off there's this brilliant bit of writing where she's a bit tipsy and she he basically says to her like they're in the middle of talking about all these things that are happening he basically says to her right let's go to bed and she's got these butterflies in her stomach and then they get to the top of the stairs and she's sort of anticipating anticipating and he's just like well good night and just goes off to his room um (laughs) And yeah, so, but she, you know, this whole experience is for her, it's kind of a coming out of her shell thing. And, you know, she's sort of seeing in him the kind of potential that she has. And you kind of feel that in the end, even though he's effectively done a runner, um, you don't get the sense that she's going to be weeping and wailing. Like, yes, this person breezed into her life and kind of showed her the possibility that there were people out there who were fascinating and exciting i just you could handle that poorly by just having her be sort of like woe is me i mean you know joan in human nature being utterly cut up because the guy she loves is effectively dead um in this it feels more like she's gonna she's gonna have a life tomorrow and i think that just speaks to the characters in this being very well drawn where they do feel like when the doctor is gone this village is still here you know these people still have stuff to do but yeah so mary i mean it's just what a character i just she's very very rounded and interesting you know there's a there's a whole scene where she's in the hospital talking to the 
sinister is he sinister is he not who knows a doctor there and you know that that whole sequence of events is as exciting as the doctor kind of hanging out and talking to witnesses and stuff and kind of watching her sort of walk the tightrope of trying not to let on that she knows he's up to something yeah so just very well handled all round i think yeah i think i think it was it was so with the benefit of hindsight we can say it's refreshing that she doesn't become a victim in the relationship she doesn't go Mm. through as you say that kind of adolescent heartbreak and abandonment she never surrenders the the high ground she's always very proper and very correct and um just yeah just just very you know strong without without it feeling like artifice or without it feeling Mm. like steve emerson sitting down to write you know capital letters strong female lead (laughs) he just he just is do you think um this is this is my crazy theory of of the of the week um I, I'm wondering if she's called Mary Minute or Minette or Minute because he's a time lord and a, a minute is a very small unit of measurement and there's a linky there. I, ooh, what do you reckon? Um, I think that's <laughs> entirely possible because I've never heard the surname that I'm aware of, Minute, uh, yeah. elsewhere. It's it's you know it's a it's a lovely bit of alliteration. It's a, that's a good hmm. strong. You could see uh, Russell T. Davis would like that name, Mary Minute. Oh, oh, fabulous. Um, Yeah. Um, You know, why not? I I get the impression Steve Emerson is a bit of an elusive one, so I don't know if he's ever actually commented on that. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, this because I don't think it's it's blasphemous to say this character is like the Doctor because that always feels like... uh, you're trying to big them up too much but i mean he's not fully the doctor in this i mean he's he's got most of his marbles but not all of them um yeah i think that's fair to say that there is a kindred thing here i mean that you know textually there is that's what she's drawn to so and you know he he gets to to rebuff her and basically wander off but in a way that does not feel callous and i think that's you know a particularly kind of eighth doctor sort of tightrope walk is is kind of being oh god everyone always says oh byronic oh he looks just like By- byron byron this byron that it was so romantic but at the same time he has to maintain that kind of almost awkward distance really and i think yeah he he gets to let her down at the same time gently but also not but yeah he he maintains his doctorly weirdness about it but in a way where you think somewhere in the in his brain you know the way that um hartnell at the end of the aztecs i mean which i always wished was genuinely the last moment of that story but they tack on a bloody a little nugget about next week's story which i think Mm. was the censorites or something tedious but (laughs) what should have been the last moment of that story which is just you know russell t davis era af is just the doctor (laughs) just going back for that that brooch and then just standing in the TARDIS and silently kind of watching the console it's just like my god that they did that in the early 60s um and you know there is a part of him that did love Kamika and you know would have liked that but he knows he can't and I I think I don't think it's a stretch to say that that is also true of Mary you know it's not the great love affair of the century or anything like that but they both recognize something there and and they're both 
they're both equals. They're both as yeah. much casualties of war as anyone else. She's she's lost mm. her brother. He's lost his memories. In he doesn't know it, but he lost them in a kind of a war himself. So he's as much a a, a damaged person marking time as as anyone else in the book. And that I think is well, quite <laughs> guarded guarded references from the doctor about oh well I've been in a war that reads differently now um mm. you know and you know I can take uh, chronologically obviously that that could never refer to the time war but nonetheless that's just so baked into the character now that it's just yeah you always feel like he's got this war torn past that he's kind of you know glassy eyed thinking about sometimes but yeah um yeah, this would have been Incredible. quite a strong, uh, a strong story to do in in the the Christopher Eccleston era. I mean, obviously, it's 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 not a ninth Doctor book; it's very much an eighth Doctor book. But it's it's the same Doctor. It's the kind of damaged. Um, I don't I don't want to talk about the past. It was a disaster. Kind well, of. Well, I, I think that would be really interesting to kind of put um, Eccleston into a kind of vaguely historic northern town. You know, mm. how would, because, because, you know, Paul McGann, obviously, he's a Liverpudian, but, you know, his doctor isn't really. But um, he has a, a somewhat, there's a separation there. Like, he's a city man. That's the impression he gives to everybody, which I think is fascinating that they see it. Because when, when he first turns up in the book, which is really early on, um, a couple of characters see him and they're like, oh, he's a bloke from the city. And I'm, I immediately thought, oh, has he got a suit and tie on? Uh, and then like, short, <laughs> a bowler. Short yeah shortly after that they're like obviously he was dressed like an insane person and you kind of think <laughs> that's that's city attire but but anyway anyway separate point but um so he's well, got that it's, that it's i think it's because he would have had very smooth hands he probably like me uses an awful then, lot of yeah. moisturizers and, and creams and but you know these are these are soft hands that have never done a day's work in their life i think uh, yeah i think they mentioned that yeah, yeah. That, that he's he you know he doesn't look like a labourer is what they mean basically. Yeah, yeah, but he's exactly. he's got that kind of I'm not from around here thing. And if you put Eccleston into that, um, he'd be incredibly good at kind of not just because of his accent but just his general demeanour, kind of suggesting like, well, I, you know, I will be down the pub having pie and chips. You know, yeah, I yeah. I am from around here to some extent. So that would be a very interesting kind of contrast. And it's not really one you could do with a lot of other doctors because Eccleston doesn't really like a lot of other doctors. But um, no. yeah, you never yeah. know. Big finish. I mean, they're, they're churning them out for old Eccleston. I mean, I presume they're going to continue doing them. But um, yeah, yeah, you never know. Yeah. They might get around to something like that. You never know. So um, let's maybe uh, have a, a couple of minutes considering the villain of the book, the... Uh, mm. The, the questionable Dr. Bannum. <laughs> what did yeah. we make of Dr. Bannum? Um, I, f- I admired the restraint with, um, you know, because the doctor's sniffing around and he knows that something's wrong. And most villains would uh, kind of bridle at him and just be like, oh, no, don't investigate, get out of here. And he's as accommodating as humanly possible to be like, yeah, yeah, sure, you can look around. Because it turns out that, you know, there is one room in the in the I want to say hospital. Yeah, it's it's a house, yeah. but it's also a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one room that effectively gives the game away, but it's got a sort of protection on it, so he knows he's he's relatively safe. Um, I thought it was you know it was fascinating that what he's doing for a day job 
is ostensibly good. You know, he is helping these people, it would appear. I do think the book could be a little bit clearer on that, just a thought, um, yeah. you know, because we d- we don't hear from as many kind of damaged soldiers as I think we could do. I think maybe you could kind of repurpose one of them to be a bit more central to the story throughout. But, you know, just a thought. Bannum, yeah, he's interesting in that he's he's doing a good thing. And... You know, once we kind of get to the end and we have to put the cards on the table, I didn't super love it because I felt like I've got no problem at all with this book not being an alien spaceship has turned up. Because that's my first thought, like when the doctor turns up and there's a big trench and he's like, oh, what could have made that overnight? Just spaceship, spaceship. (laughs) Why is nobody jumping up and down? Um, um, It's it's a space piggy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, so once you know, I've got no problem with it being effectively a supernatural novel, which I think is a, is a bit surprising, really. I mean, you get to the end, and the Doctor finally does the explain what's going on, and he basically says weird psychic forces from the dawn of time, and you kind of go, well, I wonder if that annoyed anybody because it's it's really not very science fiction, is it? But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's basically you know he's got sort of the Necronomicon or whatever, and he's he's reading it i don't know where he got it and he's getting magic stuff out of it and yeah once we once we got down to paying it off and explaining what was going on maybe it's because it was 11 p.m and i'd been reading all day but it's it (laughs) felt a little bit it felt a little bit um i find that a lot of doctor who novels do this that when they get to the end there's this sort of ice cream headache that happens where they have to have some sort of weirdness happen uh it's going to be some sort of mental battlefield or something like that and you know uh, i i think a good example would be uh transit everyone's favorite marmite doctor who virgin Mm. adventure you get to the end of that which for the most part for me just reads like a slightly ruder red dwarf novel and i really liked it for the most part um but you get to the end and then then we're into the the mental landscape and what the hell's going on here? And you feel like there are no wrong answers. So you're like, well, I didn't get it. Well done. Um, and in this, <laughs> there's there's kind of a there's kind of a similar thing where the action shifts over to a sort of war mental landscape. And I got a bit lost. And with Bannum, you know, because they it, they kept it really ambiguous where he's sort of himself but is he is he made of clay because there's a whole thing about these soldiers creating clay figures that sort of um they can externalize all of their issues onto them you're like what's going on there's a moment where it appears that he's kind of having a seizure and turning into a clay person and then someone rushes into his office and he's perfectly fine and you think is some of this a psychic projection i don't know um yeah so i thought that and maybe because you forget this is i think this is his first novel right yeah i think and that's that's kind of a an incredible like oh red alert when you're when you're reading the the new adventures that can really go one of two ways if it's oh, somebody's yeah. first novel so like paul cornell comes out of the gate and you you're immediately like okay we're saying first novel but he's clearly written a ton yeah. um and sometimes you read one uh i I'm not going to name a rubbish one off the top of my head because it feels mean. But, you know, there are a couple there where you're just like, go back and start again. This one, uh, for the most part, feels 
exceptionally kind of refined in how it's done but when it comes to the plot execution there i i was left kind of thinking hang on like and feel free to just put me right on this i'm not clear why all those cows exploded i similarly um i I, i'll be fair i didn't give a lot of thought to it either um i just (laughs) i found such a critical point i didn't care about the cows you know i didn't really feel their motivation (laughs) i didn't identify with them as characters but bannum i think is as you as you say sort of curiously undefined and i think like i said at the top of the show you don't really feel like you know why he's doing what he's doing it's 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 as if uh steve emerson thought right well i i need a villain who's up to no good so he's created one um mm. uh, and you know it, on some levels it's quite refreshing that we don't have to have chapter and verse on where he's from and why he's evil and what he's going to do when he's yeah. absorbed all this psychic menace you know because we we don't need it because we just need a, a baddie t- for the doctor to be the doctor against. And maybe that's yeah. the point. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, basically, I, I think he's very well written, very rounded character. I, I feel a little bit sort of distanced from him once it, once it's kind of announced what he's doing. And, it, you know, because he, he kind of turns into a sort of monstery thing right at the end. Um that i didn't love that and you know like i mentioned earlier there's there's a suggestion that these soldiers who are roaming around doing all sorts of creepy stuff they've got their own kind of agenda that's sort of separate from his Mm. uh because there's a moment where a character who again you know well done to steve emerson we've grown to really like and it's gutting when they get killed uh a character is killed placed within the hospital in their room as a sort of uh, what's the word well it's it's them sort of trying to send a message to the doctor but, yeah. sorry to dr bannum <laughs> not yeah. our one the other, not the other one. doctor the <laughs> yeah. naughty doctor yeah um but i didn't really get much from that because there's it's not really possible to write the the kind of golem soldiers uh as anything other than monsters and that's not to say they're poorly written they are it cannot stress this enough extremely creepy um you know there's a bit where one of them gets uh stabbed with a pitchfork and just stays there like the farmer is just stabbing hay bales because he knows something's in here and he can't find it so he leaves his pitchfork and wanders off and it turns out the the thing has been stabbed doesn't register that creepy in itself and then removes the pitchfork wipes the blood off with its hand and then licks its hand like <laughs> good grief disgusting yeah, but, that's, that's but, icky. <laughs> but but outside of the kind of terrifying kind of uncanniness of them which is all really well done they have no inner lives so i didn't really follow the kind of what are they trying to achieve separately from what banham is trying to achieve so that maybe could have been crafted a bit better definitely with the benefit of hindsight reading it now possibly not so much at the time but now i identify this as a a really strong Mm. um book certainly in the in the eighth doctor range um and you know from from the entire i keep calling it like a kind of 90s thing but of course these books were going right up until the show came back in 2005 yeah 
but uh, of all the the printed materials released in the wilderness era <laughs> um i think this is a, an absolute belter absolutely agree yeah i mean i can nitpick but you know when, when is that not true you can always yeah nitpick. exactly but, you, um, you can you could nitpick human nature but uh when absolutely would that yeah. i mean yeah basically if you come away from this with anything it's the whole dr mary thing and that, that's enough come on you know a book got something like that right that's incredible Stop it, you silly machine. I want to hear from DK and Liam and Kevin. Casualties of War is one of those standout books that appeared from time to time during the EDA range. The events of the book don't impact the rest of the range in any meaningful way, as those from Parkin or Mileswood, but it's a well-written story and a great read with some powerful imagery that moves along at a brisk pace. Coming only a couple of entries after the Ancestor Cell, by now we're exploring an amnesiac doctor's life as he makes his way through the 20th century the long way round. It's an arguably welcome change of pace after the universe-shattering adventures in recent books, and this entry uses its pages to tell a more contained, personal story about the horrors of war. Taking place sometime after Justin Richards' The Burning, Emerson's book is well-paced, thoughtful, the characters are imbued with a life that makes them feel more real than your average story. There's a depth to them. When they hurt, you feel it. You genuinely care for what happens to them. The Doctor likewise is presented in a way that feels fresh. He's instantly recognisable as the same individual from the TV movie, but he's seen through a new lens. He really feels like that wanderer out of time in this, in my opinion, more so than others from this period. It's also a terrifically spooky read, and though zombie stories have been done to death, no pun intended, in recent years, they work in the context of the story. For a first-time writer on the range, it's an incredible entry into the series. I enjoyed it so much that I contacted Mr Emerson at the time and offered to buy him a pint should he ever be so inclined after I discovered he lived in the local area. He graciously declined the drink, but instead invited me round for tea one afternoon, where he discussed the book, that of his follow-up novel, Alien Bodies, and his work on a further novel. We proceeded to remain in contact for some time after that, when I would occasionally visit him at his home, and he would suffer my enthusiastic request for feedback on my own fledgling Who novel, and was incredibly nice about it, in the way that talented people are when being forced to look at the work of those with ideas that far exceed their ability. Looking back now, I feel for the guy, as having read over my old work, it really was terrible, and should Mr Emerson be listening, I sincerely apologise for that but thank you for being so tolerant and so friendly to a fellow fan and aspiring author. The Trapped on Earth arc of 2000 and 2001 in the BBC books is one of my favourite eras of Doctor Who. Um, it's unique in so much as we are watching our famed titular hero rediscover themselves amidst a century of human history. Um, that's that's phenomenal. As a concept, it's great. I think Justin Richards and Steve Cole hit a, post, uh, a real goldmine there. You know, we've got such fabulous ideas. We've got, you know, the opening of the burn in the railway carriage. We've got the Doctor meeting Alan Turing. We've got the wonderful Lawrence Perkin in Father Time. Uh, I am going to, Ian, uh, say that uh, I want to join you for that one night. Um, but, you know, we're looking at it 
in, in with the hindsight of looking back post COVID nineteen, and there's so many strands in this novel. You know, the influenza, the shadow of pre and post war, the eponymous dark forces that are massing on the lonely and misravaged Yorkshire moors. Uh, you know, even the character of Mary. Uh, uh, unlike most stories, our Doctor Who identification figure here is a woman who doesn't actually know the Doctor. And we don't know the Doctor. And the Doctor doesn't really know himself at this point. You know, he's rediscovering who he is. His thoughts, desires, hopes, dreams, piece by piece. So to have those beats played out against what you would originally consider a bit of a Robert Holmesian type story of kind of, you know, a remote location. Uh, it's wonderful. You know, this is a, a story all about character. It's about the small moments. Uh, you know, it was a delight to, to revisit and reread this all these years on. It's been a... Tricky, tricky couple of years for me personally. You know, I've had a lot of ups and downs in the wake of COVID. But to to look at this through the adult eyes and through the prism of myself in 2022, you know, there was a lot of things that resonated, hit home. The, the human stories of the characters there within and just the shadow of kind of encroaching dread. You know, uh, it was beautifully done. I think Steve Emerson could be vastly, vastly proud of the uh, the work that he's done here. Evening all. Another month and another Eighth Doctor novel, namely Casualties of War by Steve Emerson. And another new setup for our favourite Time Lord. This time he's somehow become an amnesiac with no access to the TARDIS. But you know, it doesn't really matter. Even without his memories, at the core he's still the same person with the same inquisitiveness and passion for the unusual. And his personality breaks through and his determination still absolutely clear. Okay, so the plot could probably be summarised as golem-like dead soldiers rising from the mud to attack an innocent village, all under the thrall of an unseen psychic intelligence. So far, so Doctor Who, you might think. But it's the fact that the story is told in a way that's just so damn creepy that's the novel's greatest strength. There are some really atmospheric and disturbing scenes. The Doctor sifting through chunks of dead bodies in the middle of a field. The poacher discovering a tree full of severed heads of dead animals and then putting a bullet through his own brain when he's surrounded by the walking dead. A mute soldier taking out his pain and rage on a humanoid clay figure during a bizarre therapy session. Farmer Crombie setting his own barn on fire and watching the blazing bodies of dead soldiers crumble to earth. And of course the scenes in the clay room where Mary finds a book with Latin text and woodcuts of horrific demons only for the door to slam shut trapping her in the darkness and absorbing her into the ooze. Maybe a slight cliché, but still incredibly effective. And although the Doctor's front and centre in the story, it's actually the supporting characters that really shine here. The intelligent, caring Mary Minnett and the elderly, world-weary Constable Briggs are essentially pseudo-companions for the Doctor, and the story's all the better for it. Mary's playful relationship with the mysterious man from the Ministry builds nicely over the course of the novel, and you almost want them to get together. And at one point, the Doctor even seems to consider it. And Albert Briggs might be totally out of his comfort zone here, but that doesn't stop his dogged loyalty and care for his little community. If I had criticisms, well, perhaps there are a few too many trips back and forth to Balham's hospital for angry confrontations before it's revealed, quite obviously, that he was the villain of the piece. I did like that Balham used pagan dark forces to release his patient's psychic potential and manifest the madness of the Great War, and that it ultimately was too much for him to control. But I could have done without a trip to a metaphysical netherworld where the Doctor used his strength of will to turn said dark forces against themselves. 
maybe I'm quibbling. Overall, it's a genuinely enjoyable novel that isn't afraid to examine the horrors of war with some psychological depth, a few good scares and some excellent descriptive prose. We may not be in the trenches, but you can feel the mud and the stench and the terror, and sometimes the worst horrors are close to home. Bye for now. What do you mean close to home? Don't don't leave me here on my... Well, thank you, Steve Emerson. That was a really great book and everyone enjoyed it. So good work there. Next month, like I said, it's the end of series one. It's the end of term. So wear your jeans, bring in games. We're just going to be talking about something called uh, Time's Crucible. See you then. Thank you.